Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. As we go through life, we will face tests and trials. On today's program, we'll see how Abraham faced the greatest test of his life and how he responded with instant and unquestioning obedience. Part two of Cheryl's message titled, All the Promises of God. You see, without Jesus, we cannot have any of the promises of God. All the premises of God hinge on Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, according to Ephesians 2, 12 through 13, we are without a Messiah. We are aliens separated from all of God's covenants, all his agreements, all his promises, no hope. And without God, there's no way to even have God in our lives without Jesus. But verse 13, here's hope. But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off, have been made near, have been brought in by the blood of Christ. Now, all the promises that Abraham received from God all hinged on a promised son. Without that promised son, None of the blessings, none of the promises that God had given Abraham could ever come to pass. In Genesis 12, you remember, God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And based on those promises, Abraham left Haran, went to Canaan to a land that God showed him. And while in the land of Canaan, God spoke to him again, lift up your eyes now. Look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants. Now, Abraham doesn't have any children. Forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Genesis 13. God repeats these promises to Abraham again after he's been in the land for a while. In chapter 15, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But now in chapter 15, Abraham says, "Um, Lord, I see a a slight contradiction. (laughs) There's a little problem here. I know you've made all these promises to me, but I don't have an heir. I don't have a son. All I've got is a servant who was born in my house. He's not a blood relative. He's not really my descendant. I'm childless. And you, I, how is this going to happen, Lord? And at that point, God promises Abraham an heir that would come from his loins. And all the promise of God, everything that God said he would do, 
could only happen if this promised son was born, lived, and procreated. That was necessary. Without the son of promise, none of the promises to Abraham could be realized. None. God emphasized this promise. This one, speaking of Ishmael, shall not be your heir in chapter 17, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then God called Abraham outside to stare up at the stars in the desert sky and promised him as many descendants as stars. It's not Abraham's servant. It's not Ishmael. It's still this child that Abraham is waiting for that has not come. God says to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly, and you shall be the father of many nations. I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants. No promised child. Also, I give you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Genesis 17, one through eight. God tells Abraham that the son of promise, the one on whom all the promises will be brought through, the hinge, the way in, will be birthed by Baron Sarah, who is now approaching 90. Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. I love this. Abraham thinks he might have heard wrong. He laughs. He falls on his face. That's how ridiculous it is. <laughs> Boom. The thought of Sarah giving birth at 90 is absolutely preposterous. He offers God a solution. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God once more clarifies that all the promises that he has given to Abraham will hinge on the special child, the son he has been waiting for, the one that will be conceived and miraculously born through barren old Sarah. I hate to call her that, but it's true. No, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Genesis 17, 19. Do you realize that? According to God's word, it has to be this son who isn't even living on planet Earth yet. But there's no possibility that these promises can be fulfilled or come to pass without this miraculous child. But even as God said, Sarah conceives at around 90. Sarah holds that child in her womb for nine months. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we're like, oh, conception. No, 90 years old and the baby stays. And is birth 
birth at 90. It was hard enough at 21, according to God's appointed time. And this brings us to Genesis 22. Here is the young man upon whom every promise hinges. He is not married. He does not have a wife. He has not produced a child. And all the promises of God will not be realized, will not come to pass unless Isaac marries and has children. There's no offspring yet. And God says to Abraham, take now your son, your only son. Why he, was he the only son? He was the only son by whom the promises could be realized. The only son whom you love. First mention of love in the Bible between the father toward the son. And go to the land of Moriah, which is the hills of Jerusalem, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. God is asking for the son of promise, the one on whom all the promises hinge and without whom the promises to Abraham cannot be fulfilled. He is saying to Abraham, offer your son as a sacrifice. He's not telling Abraham to kill his son. He's not preparing Abraham for Isaac's death. He's not saying, I'm going to take him, he's going to die. No, God is saying something very specific. Offer him as a sacrifice. Offer him as a burnt offering. Now, a burnt offering is unlike any of the other offerings. A burnt offering is an offering that is completely consumed. The other offerings, whether they be a grain offering, a peace offering, a fel- uh, peace offering is the fellowship offering, but the uh, other offerings, even the sin offering that we find in Leviticus and Exodus, all of these the priest and the person giving the offering would have a portion in. But the burnt offering, the the offerer, the priest had no portion in. This was an offering that was to be entirely consumed. And the idea of this offering was even the very nature of the offering was to become transcendent. So what was material became smoke that could ascend to heaven. Why it was material, it was earthbound. But once it became smoke, you know, because that which is material, maybe you remember in science, actually still has substance. But the substance was transformed to something that could ascend to heaven, to God. It was absolute consecration. The substance of the animal would be totally changed from material to smoke. And no part of that offering could the one who offers it share in or have part of. So God is saying, I want you to fully 100% consecrate, give this to me. Furthermore, God directs Abraham to offer this specific son. I was saying in, in group today that I, I think Abraham didn't tell Sarah because Sarah would say, take Ishmael, 
<laughs> you know, you have two sons, you know. This is the son of promise. The only son, the only one qualified to be the heir. The son he loves. The son that God has named Isaac. The name chosen by God that means laughter, joy. And what God is calling Abraham to do seems anything but joy or laughter. But his name itself contained the promise, didn't it? This is the son that will give you joy. This is the son that will give you laughter. But there can be no mistake over this requirement. God specifies a place, a mountain among mountains, that Abraham will be shown. Abraham obeys, even though it doesn't make sense. Even though the sacrifice of Isaac would mean that the promises of God could not be fulfilled, that they were done with. Abraham saddles his donkey, carries two young men and Isaac, takes wood, follows the directions of God, and he ends up at Jerusalem among the mountains. It's a three-day journey to the place God is showing him. Abraham has not been to Jerusalem before, though he's met Melchizedek, the king of Jerusalem. And it's a mountain, Mount Moriah. During that time, those three days, Abraham is silent and is considered his son as dead. In his heart, he has already given his beloved son to God as a sacrifice. At the bottom of the mountain, Abraham lays the wood on Isaac's back. And he tells the men, my son and I will go up to worship the Lord and come back. And he begins the ascension on the hill of Moriah that God has shown him. On the way up, Isaac's like, okay, God, I mean, dad, we've got wood, got a torch with fire. Really missing like one thing. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering. The sacrifice will be what God provides. It is what God will give. But God has already given Isaac to Abraham. When they come to the specified place, Abraham builds the altar. He puts the wood in order. And then he binds Isaac, who is probably between 30 and 33 years old. But Isaac does not resist his old man, his old father, who's probably by this time 130 or so. Isaac does not resist. Like, hey, dad, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> little dementia here, dad. You know, follow my finger. You know, can you see me? How many of me are there? He, he cooperates with his father. There is no resistance. When Abraham lifts the knife, the angel or messenger of the Lord stops him. Note that the angel of the Lord calls Abraham by name. Abraham, there can be no mistake, it's you. And he repeats it. Anytime the Bible repeats a name or a theme, it's because the surety of that thing. So the name is repeated. 
This is what God does when he wants someone's full attention. Martha, Martha, because she's like, Mary, Mary, did you see what Mary's doing? She's so distracted. Martha, Martha, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the lad. And the word lad is the Hebrew word, not er, or young man, or do anything to him. For now I know, or now I see that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Who is this angel of the Lord who speaks of God in the second person, but then speaks of the giving of the sacrifice? in the first person. The Lord then arrests Abraham's attention, stops him, and he shows him a lamb that is stuck in the thicket. And Abraham calls the place, the Lord will provide, or Yahweh Yaira. Here at this place, God's provision, God's way into all of his promises will be seen. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Isn't it interesting that the word seen is used here? And in John 8, 56, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Years ago, when we were just building our church in Vista, it just only been framed out. I remember my Aunt Isi coming in. She wanted to see it. Um, it was Thanksgiving. And I drove her over to the church, and Brian was sitting with the board members on the floor because there was nothing but concrete and, and wood and, and piles of wood and then a, a little bit of framing. And I remember she looked at me and her eyes were almost like um, glassy brilliant. It was just incredible. And she looked at me and she said, I see it. And she was looking all around. She said, I see it. I see it. And I'm like, what do you see? What do you see? Yeah, I'm getting on her level because she's like this tall. Like, what, do we, what do we see? What, what do we, it's a good thing I've got this country man, Mike, now that I realize. What do we see? What do we see? She saw it all. I didn't even know where the classrooms, fellowship hall, or the main sanctuary was. I was like, what are we seeing? But she saw Abraham on that mountain when God stops him, when God shows him the ram in the thicket caught. He says, I see it. I see it. In other words, I understand. This chapter, which has confused so many others, it's the day of Abraham's revelation. The day when he sees Jesus and he rejoices and says, I see it. Here's the way into all the promises. God will provide himself as the way into all the promises.
Then the angel of the Lord who speaks on God's behalf swears to Abraham by an oath, by the power of his person and the power of his word that all the blessings will be passed on through Isaac and only Isaac. Now the blessings are guaranteed. Now the blessings are impregnable, cannot be broken. They're absolute surety from the highest power, highest authority. They are certain because you have not withheld your son, your only son. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What did Abraham do to earn this? He obeyed. He obeyed. Faith and obedience brought Abraham into all the promises of God that hinged on this son. What a promise. God is saying, every time I bless, if I'm going to bless anybody on this earth, you get part of it. Isn't that right? It's like getting going to a birthday party. And they give you just as great a presence as the birthday kid gets. When I was a little girl and I would go to the birthday party, I was uh, raised in Newport Beach. I went to Newport Heights Elementary with all the rich kids. I think I was the poorest kid there. We lived on subsidies of peanut butter that NEC would provide for us from our, her camp. And my dad spread that peanut butter so thin on my sandwiches you couldn't even see it. And it's hard to spread it that thin. I always knew when mom did my lunch because there was an ample amount of peanut butter. It's like, oh, you can see it. Mom must have made it this morning. And I would go to these birthday parties and they would get a bubble. My, my three favorite presents as a child. I asked for them every year because I had a brother that would break them every year. So I'd ask for them every year after year after year. A rubber ball, a bubble gum machine. That way you save money and get enjoyment at the same time. <laughs> and a cash register. I love, I don't know. Those are my three favorites. Not Barbies, those are all hand-me-downs from the girls who got too old in the church. I got some of Terry Fisher's old Barbie dolls. I, um, that's what I got from other people. I never had a new Barbie doll in my life, but the ones I got were so nice and were still in the box. But this is what I wanted every year. And I would see these Newport Beach kids, not to put them down, they're my friends still. They were like, another bubblegum machine? I'd be like, if you don't want it, I'll take it. You know? A rubber ball? If you don't want it. A cash register? And I'd be like, oh, if only. If only. You know, I get one. You get, you know, my mom would say, Cheryl, it's either the rubber ball, the bubblegum machine, or the cash register. I'd be like, don't we have any rich relatives? I didn't even have a grandma and grandpa. You know, it's just mom and dad, and they lived on peanut butter subsidies. You know what? What hope did I have? And these kids would get all of it, but this is like going to a birthday party, and everyone gets cash registers. You know? God is saying, every time I give a cash register, you get a cash register. Every time I give someone a bubble gum machine, you get a bubble gum machine. Every 
time someone gets a red rubber ball, you get a red rubber ball. You're like, I don't want those. You Newport women. (laughs) But God is saying to Abraham, every time I bless, I will bless you. Every time I multiply somebody, I'll multiply you. You'll share in it. You're part of all my blessings. You're never removed from my blessings from now on. A true worshiper of God holds nothing back and willingly gives God what he asks, trusting that he will provide. God provided for Abraham, and in remembrance of God's provision, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide. God has also provided for us today in his son, Jesus. As Romans 8.32 says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Our greatest need, the forgiveness of sins, is provided for us as we place our faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at Abraham's faith and obedience as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.